This recording was brought to you by Media One Audio Visual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. Welcome. Thanks, and hope everyone had a great lunch. And uh, thank you for the, coming to the music marketing panel. Uh, my name is Kevin Lyman, and uh, I was asked to, I was just coming up for a meeting, and then I got asked if I would moderate this panel, and I feel pretty lucky because I'm probably the least technology savvy person in the room, but um, I've learned how to blend that in. I started the Vans Warp Tour. I have the Rockstar Mayhem Festival. I've had the Taste of Chaos Tours. Uh, I have the Willie Nelson Country Throwdown Festivals and touring, and, and definitely have learned how to embrace and work within this median of marketing. Um, but I'm so happy at one point, during the first wave of technology, people used to explain to me how we were all just gonna live in a virtual world. And, and I said, how are you ever gonna replace the live music uh, event? And uh, now I'm glad to see in the, during this new wave of technology and all these new things, we are never gonna replace the live music event. But how do we accentuate it with technology? So what we're gonna do is just run down, we're gonna try to do this panel a little different. We're gonna run down, give everyone a little bit, just a minute to tell them what they've been doing. And we would like to open it up to questions right away because you guys are here for a very short time. We have one hour, and we want to be able to answer questions that are relevant to you and get into some discussions and topic. Uh, to my left is Aaron. Uh, say a little bit about yourself. Hey, guys. I'm Aaron Chuda. I'm the Vice President of Marketing for Live Nation Northern California. Uh, venues I'm responsible for are Shoreline Amphitheater, the Mountain Winery, the Fillmore, uh, Punchline and Cobbs Comedy Clubs, the Sleep Train Pavilion in Concord. Uh, we do about 500 shows a year out of our market with a, a staff of four people, so we're all very versed in working our butts off to market shows. And uh, I've known Kevin for a long time, working with him on the Warp Tour and the Mayhem Festival and the Throwdown Festivals. But uh, I'm excited to be here and share with you guys what we're doing to change the old model, which was uh, take out a print ad and sell some tickets, into the new model, which is use technology as much as humanly possible. Hi, everyone. I'm Zach Darling. I uh, run a company called Zach Darling Creative Associates. We do a lot of marketing and uh, event promotion, a lot of festival promotions. Started in the mid-90s doing psychedelic rave flyers and then moved uh, into now uh, interactive websites, iPad apps, iPhone apps, full uh, marketing campaigns. I'm also an uh, event producer. I'm one of the producers of the Harmony Festival. I'm the North Bay Burning Man regional representative. And I also work with Earth Dance Festival and um, a variety of other uh, crazy events. So I'm happy to be here. Hey everyone, I'm Julia Hartz. I'm the co-founder and president of Eventbrite.com. Uh, we've been sort of categorized as an online ticketing platform, uh, but we definitely see ourselves as much more. Uh, we're a technology company that empowers the entrepreneurs that are promoters and artists to uh, sell out their shows using uh, social media integration, uh, ticket buyer analytics, as well as a discovery mechanism for fans to find the shows that they want to attend. And we're really excited to be here. We've seen a lot of exciting activity in the music vertical which has grown over 300% for us uh, in the past year so hey Ian Hogarth I'm from Sonkey.com co-founder and CEO uh, we started the company basically to make it easier for fans to find out when their favorite bands were coming to town and go to shows so we're kind of inherently in the business of marketing concerts to fans on behalf of promoters ticket vendors artists agents whoever um, we've become the second largest site on the web after Ticketmaster doing things around concerts so there's definitely a need in the, for, for fans to have an easier way to find concerts. Um, and we're also sort of working on helping fans find concerts wherever they might be on the web, whether it's browsing a video on YouTube or listening to a track on SoundCloud or going to an artist's page with FanBridge, wherever. And, and so you know, we're, we spend night and day thinking about how to make it easier to go to shows and how to help market shows. 
Um, my name is uh, Gabriel Benvenisti. I'm CEO and founder of Sonic Living. Um, we're in the uh, concert discovery platform. Uh, we power all the concert listings on Pandora for Lady Gaga, a lot of the Interscope artists and stuff like that. And we built a universal RSVP platform which allows people to kind of no matter where they are, say that they're going to a show and have that go to all the other sites supporting that, other artists, other things like that. Um, and we're also expanding into other artists' events as well, so not just concerts, but looking at album releases, music video launches and stuff like that, um, how those relate, because those are events. And so looking at kind of the discovery, the anticipation, kind of building up to that and the sharing that happens, the experience at the event, whether it's you're listening to a song or you're at a concert, and then the post-show, post-experience encapsulation of that and kind of what that means. And um, from an event marketing perspective, both that discovery piece and sharing it with your friends and also using your experience at that show or with that event to lead to, you know, kind of driving exposure for your other events and stuff like that. Okay, so um, this panel, as you can see, we have promoters, we have producers, we have people that are delivering tickets at a, a very nice uh, way. I've, I've, I've learned, I was just over at their offices today and learning more about them. And we've got people that are, are kind of building that whole experience. So when you leave a concert, leading up to it and leaving it, it goes on. So. Does anyone, anyone, we'd love to open it up to questions like right away so we can see you know, what you guys want to hear about and learn about. Because I, I mean, I learned more just sitting with these people for the last 50 minutes. I uh, walked out with a list of uh, research I need to do as soon as I leave this uh, room of all these new companies that people are using. Uh, question anyone that would like to lead and guide the topic? Yes, sir. Your name, uh, at any panel, it's always great to say your name and what you're doing, just real quick. So uh, you might make some friends here to be able to work with you on the road. I'm Graham Tobias. I'm from Boston. I'm the president of Media Structura Inc. I do sound production um, and marketing consulting for music. Uh, my question is, co-op marketing is obviously a huge part of concert promotion and production and all that sort of thing. It's like really important to bring in all sorts of other people to help spread the word and spread their word. So I'm wondering, what kind of new technologies are you going to co-op market concerts with that you haven't really been using before? I'll, I'll take this one. Um, I should start with the way that concerts used to be marketed when I started at Bill Graham Presents 12 years ago. Um, previous marketing was, you know, your standard print ad for a show, do some radio spots, maybe a TV campaign and pay some kids to hand some flyers out for you. Uh, in the last probably three years, I've shifted 30 or more percent of my ad budgets on a given show to online marketplaces, which has given us an infinite number of partners to co-op our advertising with. Um, everything from Facebook to Pandora to working with Sonic Living to um, working with Twitter and, and a number of other sites. I think it's really important now when we're marketing shows to realize that you don't need to have the shotgun approach to how you're marketing. It's not putting the word out there and hoping you had a mass audience. It's fine-tuning the audience you're going after, using the research to hit as many people as humanly possible who are already qualified fans of that act. And that's where you know, we're using partners that are specific to that artist as opposed to broad-reaching media platforms. So you know, to answer your question, there's at least 20 or 30 different partners that we work with online and in order what are, to reach What are audience. maybe, you know, just for the person out here that's uh, you know, new to marketing show, what are like the, the let's just top five companies that you've, you're finding success with right now? Uh, Facebook is obviously the most important based on the number of people they have and the ease of uh, use of people working with that platform. Um, you know, internet marketing companies that, that do email blasts uh, are very successful for us. Uh, Pandora, we just started a relationship working with Pandora, and, and I find that to be very good, although it's too early for me to see 
how well it's performing. We've just started this summer in our market. Um, but the fact that you can take a person and feed them a music ad for System of a Down who's playing at Shoreline this weekend, and I can only play on the System of a Down channel, that's a really qualified person that you're reaching there. Um, outside of that, Twitter's been very successful for us on certain levels. Um, yeah, those are those are those are the big, the biggest. And uh, Julia, as a yeah. ticketing company, I know that you you guys are taking the approach um, not that we're just delivering a ticket, but we're doing other things. Right. So, yeah, I'd like to drill down on especially Facebook. I mean, we've seen tremendous amount of success in promoters, you know, using that channel as a free marketing channel to really turn their fans and ticket buyers into evangelists. And so, for us, you know, we can um, track every share and what that means for the promoter and for the artist. And right now, every time uh, a concert is shared on Facebook through Eventbrite, it drives $12 in gross ticket sales. So, every single share. And we had over 200,000 shares last, last month alone. And so, there's some significant network effect that's going on. It's sort of, you know, the social media thing, it's the buzzword, but it's very significant. Uh, it's the number one driver of traffic to Eventbrite right now. And so you're seeing these people empowered to share which concert and which bands they're fans of, and it's actually turning into real dollars, and that's really exciting for us. Anyone else have anything to elaborate or ready for the next question, you guys? There's a, yeah, there's that point of relevancy, if you don't mind, uh, that a ticket buyer is actually 10 times more likely to buy a ticket based on a share if, if their friend is going, right? Which is, you know, if you go, I'll go kind of mentality. Okay, qu next question. Someone have in the room? Like, is, there yes. a, is there a preferred uh, like artist or music app? My name is Alex. I uh, am doing marketing with Playlist.com, um, but I'm also trying to manage an artist. So I'm interested in all these uh, promotional tools, but I'm wondering if there's a preferred Facebook app for artists uh, like Roots Music, isn't that? Something like that that you guys are using or you see as uh, breaking ground in a certain way. Right. Stumped us already. I, mean, I think there's, there's a few <laughs> really good ones. I mean, I think it would be, it's, I mean, Root Music have definitely got grown the fastest and have the most penetration and they've done amazing amazing work with their product but you've also got um, Fanbridge uh, who are this huge um, huge email marketing company that have just pivoted into doing Facebook fan pages as well with Damn the Radios uh, as an acquisition which is seems to be working really well you've got Reverb Nation have something like a hundred thousand artists using their um, mm. Facebook fan pages um, but it seems like so far kind of root music is like the, the, the you know the, the closest to a default I want to echo that with uh, with Fanbridge, We've, as far as email marketing and in tying in your social networking with your e email marketing and incentivized emails. We've had a really positive experience with Fanbridge. Uh, as they make it really easy to do incentivized things like give a free song for one of your artists, and when somebody clicks to go to that to to download the free song, it's in exchange exchange for an email edition, and it helps you build your email list a lot a lot easier. And uh, they will will tweet and and Facebook for you as well. Uh, it's it's definitely one of the most user friendly ones that I've found out there. Yeah, uh, kind of along those lines. I mean, Root Music is definitely the one that we've been enjoying the most. Um, but the one of the things that is important to look at with any of these platforms is what access to user information you're able to get from it, and how you're able to continually market beyond you know this application telling you that you have X number of likes 
or something like that, especially when, you know, if you're, if you're talking about a general platform where fans are able to stream your music or, you know, post on the wall and stuff like that, uh, that's great. Um, but when you have a local show and you don't want to blast out the, you know, thousand to, you know, million fans that you have, kind of what tools do you have at your disposal at that point? And so as you look at those different platforms and you're thinking about how you're aggregating your fans or what you're having them opt into, it's really important to think about how it plays into your larger plan um, and what you really want to get done with that platform and how you might want to utilize it. Because a lot of the services are great, but they're going to, the leverage that they have is that they're going to be controlling, they're going to be a wall in between you and your fans. And they're going to prevent you from having access to that fan base if you choose to leave that platform. And so just, you know, keep an eye out for that. And maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe that's fine, you know, but just something to keep, keep in mind for. Okay, next, next question, potentially. Yeah, back there in the, someone just raised their hand way back there. Hi, I'm Joel Resnikow, CEO of Rexley, which is social discovery and recommendation for music, movies, books, and TV. Just curious on the, on the user end, coming from the other end of, of, I guess, the other perspective, what are the biggest pain points that prevents people from going to more concerts or knowing about all the concerts that they would go to? Price. Money. I mean, <laughs> economics. <laughs> Kids I, would, can't, yeah. I would say second to that, it's discovery, right? I mean, there's one of the reasons why we founded Eventbrite is my husband and I were tired of, of finding out about great events and great shows after they happen. So, um, you know, really having a place where people can discover great events is, is paramount to, to growing this industry. And so I think it's really fragmented right now. I think it's really hard to find the shows that are really relevant to you. And so, uh, you know, we approach it by by offering these, these tools to let people, you know, share amongst themselves. And so you really want to find that point of relevancy. I mean, how, how annoying is it to receive a newsletter where it's a bunch of shows you would never go to? You, you It just has no resonance for you. And so finding a way for technology to provide hyper-relevancy is key because we have the tools to do it. So right. c you know, companies know a lot about you and they can actually find that point where they're delivering you content that's really valuable. Yeah. I mean, I, I have um, a pretty strong belief that the, the live music market is way, way smaller than it will be when eventually technology makes it really, really efficient because we, we continually hear the same anecdote from our users, which is, you know, prior to, to signing up to your service, I, I wasn't really aware of what was going on in my local area in terms of live music. I was going to like one concert a year, now I'm going to four. And that, that wasn't, we, you know, that they fundamentally had, a, they didn't want to go to live music or that we changed their appetite for it. We just made it easier to find out about it in the first place. And I think that the bar has been set very low in terms of how easy it is for fans to find out about live music at the moment. You have these, you know, extreme, like, you know, as Julia was saying, these kind of very untargeted um, marketing messages reaching people via, you know, um, generic radio stations versus, you know, what Aaron was talking about with the idea of using a specific Pandora station to recommend to someone. And when you do that, you get amazing results. I mean, we, when, we, when we send our, you know, alert, constant alerts emails out to people, you know, the open rates are way over 50% which is huge for email marketing. I mean, over 50% is kind of insane. And I think that the, the bottom line is that if we collectively, as, you know, as an industry who care about live music and care about technology, can fix the awareness problem, concert industry could be twice, three times the size it is today. Yeah. And I think, go, uh, sorry. go ahead. Or I think one of the major obstacles that's happening right now, because the, cause the promotional music marketing uh, world is in a is in a place of evolution right now from the old days of just posters and flyers and word of mouth to this new technology platforms I mean raise your hand if your Facebook inbox is overflowing with event, event invitations right now 
right? It's, it's just oversaturation. There's mad oversaturation that's happening. The shotgun effect is hitting everybody in such a vast way that, that uh, I in time, it'll, it'll hopefully there'll become more tools that will become more targeted. People will learn what online resources that they can sign up for that will, that will speak to their motivating influences more directly. And, um, uh, one of the one of the services that we have, it's kind of bridging the social marketing uh, with the old school street team style. We use a uh, with for Harmony Festival. We use a service for the past three years called um, Fan Manager, and they have an online social network that uh, different various folks sign up for kids fans sign up to create their own uh, profile, and they for shows that they like they sign up for them and they get sent a box of posters and flyers and they go out and put up the, the posters and flyers they take photos of them they upload them to their profile and if they've done enough and they met their quota they get tickets to the shows so there are some really innovative way, innovative ways in which the old school earlier days of doing it which still works not everybody you know not all age groups are on Facebook every day like a lot of us technology people there's still a giant concert going audience out there that don't even have a smartphone or don't even want one or don't even want a Facebook profile or, or be out in public like that. And the ability to really br bridge and reach both audiences, the high tech and the low tech, is, uh, is a challenge that there, there's some new interesting solutions that are being looked into and, and grown on. I, I think there's actually a balance you have to have between the, the niche marketing to people who like a certain type of music and the shotgun marketing. Uh, you know, our email blast that we have locally just for, for my office is 750,000 people in San Francisco. So that that's a large percentage of the population that gets an email once a week that lists every show that we do. And that may have 75 shows on it. We also target and drill down further within our own email list and within social marketing to get the system of a down fan. But I, I've seen too many times that you can super serve your, your, your niche audience, but you're kind of doing them a disservice in a certain way because what if I like System of a Down and I really want to know Hall & Oates is playing the Mountain Winery? And, and you'd be shocked how many people will go see both. So you have to tailor your email list if you're going to have a, a, a big email list to allow people to be able to share certain events with other people because you may find a show you like on there, but you know what? If you're looking at a Twitter feed for somebody, you'd be surprised how many people are recommending a show that they don't want to go to to their friends saying, hey, so-and-so, I know you really like, you know, Rihanna. She's playing. And, and if you can build into your email list a way that you can share individual events from that massive list, you reach a lot of people, but you open it up for those people to recommend smaller lists to their friends. Yeah, there was a... Uh, there's this kind of funny thing. This is I'm kind of going to go off a little bit, but the um, I used to work at Pixar, and one of the things that was lost as part of that movie making process was there was this this concept of happy accidents that could happen, which is that uh, because the the process of creating the films was so deliberate and so technical, there wasn't you know you weren't going to accidentally get like this perfect shot or this perfectly lit moment, and so um, or you know like a bird flying into the camera, something awesome like that, and so what ended up. Um, when you like, I mean, to talk to Aaron's point a bit, to speak to that, um, when you do have things that are pure, that are, you know, when you have recommendations that's purely taste based, or even like taste and social and a few other things, people do miss out on that opportunity to discover something new that they may love. Um, and it's a little trickier with live events. I mean, you know, around music recommendations, you know, you aren't, it's not a big ask for a fan to press play on something, especially if it's in a trusted space 
we're coming from a trusted person. Um, around a live music event, you can't think of it as like, well, we're just going to recommend concerts to people and hope they go to them because you're talking about their night, you're talking about their time, you're talking about them getting exhausted and stuff like that. And so figuring out, you know, we're still, I think everybody here is still exploring what discovery means beyond taste and, and honestly beyond taste and social and how can you expose people to having these serendipitous moments where, you know, kind of it shows up in the right way and everything clicks for them and they decide to buy that ticket. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting stuff. You certainly can't force it. I mean, I think that you have to at some point let discovery free. So we, you know, allow people to share and discover things on where they get their ideas. So Facebook, Twitter, you know, for certain verticals that we service, LinkedIn. So it's it's not about forcing something uh, down someone's throat and making them sort of pigeonholed, but it is about allowing them access to all of the different options from all of their different connections, whether it be tastemakers or people that they admire that they follow on Twitter or their close friends or geographically bound contacts within Facebook. I think it's really important to allow discovery to happen organically and not completely force it. Can I actually like to ask a question of the other panelists, which is that, um, you know, right now, and I guess anybody in the audience who would like to answer this, um, I see that, you know, with digital, one of the great things about it and kind of online marketing is that you can quantify the success of everything. You know, you have metrics that closely, you know, you're watching like, okay, I put this link up here and it performed this well. And with the shotgun approach, you don't know. But what I'm wondering is, is that like, are there still kind of in the shotgun, throw it over the fence, see how, you know, kind of maybe hope that people show up. Is there something that you can't quantify that you feel like is still successful for you? I mean, we've gotten back to like billboards. You're starting to see concerts, you know, on highways and billboards again. You know, I mean, that went away for a long time. You can't really quantify how many people, but as a site, um, digitally, I mean, we just had to get really focused. I mean, when you say that, you, you say, you know, I don't think many people that are coming to our shows, it's very focused, the Warp Tour, Godsmack, that we don't, we try to stay away from putting the Hall and Oates, because, mm -hmm. you know, our fans are very aggressive with us. If we, if we don't give them a message they want to hear, you know, I get, fuck you really quick. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, get out of our scene, you know, so where is that? Yacht Rock on a third stage, maybe? Yeah, yeah exactly. But, you know, you're, you're marketing a, a specific product, which gives you the leverage of only super serving them what they want, because they signed up for what you provide. I, I'm providing a, a broad concert live event experience and I have to shotgun a little bit of it. But to go to what you were saying, Gabe, it, you know the, the data that you get from running these online ads, it's hard to really base what's truly successful because I, I believe concert going is such a social experience. You see a banner ad or you see something about a show and you don't click and buy immediately. You, you may click and then you may go call 15 friends and see if they're going to go and then check your calendar and then you may come back, but you're not going to come back to that banner. You're not going to come back to that specific ad. You might go back to the Facebook event page or something like that. So you can't take the hard ending numbers as the be all end all of what you're doing. You have to look at the impressions at a certain level um, or the click through rate more so than, than the return on that click. Uh, to answer your question, one interesting way that, uh, that we've tried for the past couple years on the Harmony Festival website is we've created a promotional resources page on the site, which allows fans and users to download banner ads themselves and put them up on their own sites, logos, background images, printables, posters, and flyers for themselves. So if somebody's a huge fan of, of the event, they want to actually put it on their refrigerator, they can download a nice high-resolution one, put it on their, their refrigerator, and have it at their home. So. 
and there's we don't really have a way of knowing how often that's used or how much that's used but it's it's really just allowing people to self-motivate and pr self-promote if they're interested in supporting it anyway on their own uh, at Eventbrite, we track almost everything being technologists, so there's almost nothing that we don't track. But one of the things that drives uh, me crazy, at least, is one of our main uh, sources of new event organizers across our entire platform is word of mouth. And that's always been the case. And at some point, you have to look at how good your show is. And for us, the analogy is how good our product is and what it what it does for our users and how does it delight them. And you can really, you know, take those same attributes and apply them to the to the fan experience, to that live experience. How good is it and how are people going to be talking about it afterwards it's it drives me nuts because there's no way that we can quantify how people come to us through word of mouth but we can definitely uh, you know leverage our and and be in control of how good our product is and how good our customer experience is conversely do you know like how many people aren't sharing information about your event online like are you having like is it like five percent of the people who are buying tickets to like an Eventbrite concert, or is it like ninety-five percent are going ahead and sharing it? It really it it completely matters. Um, it changes from vertical to vertical, and also event to event. So you know, music is not the most shared category across the entire Eventbrite platform. It's actually business and social events. So business mixers or technology conferences like this actually shared more than music uh, events, but music events, when they are shared, they have a higher conversion rate than any other vertical, and they have a higher gross uh, ticket sales per share, which is at that $12 per each time anything is shared um, than any other vertical. Do you know what, uh, so I'm, I'm gonna shut up in a second, should I shut up? I was gonna ask like, <laughs> I mean, what I'm curious about, I mean like, sorry, I, I do not want to dominate this panel, I'll happily be quiet in a second, but what I was wondering is like, why are people sharing business events more than concerts. I mean, like concerts are way more awesome than business events. <laughs> so, like, like, sorry. I mean, I get. What is this? Where are we? Is it's a really good question. It actually made our. Uh, us scratch our heads as well. Um, we think it's because you know people sort of identify themselves with the events that they go to, and you know maybe the propensity to share a, a free event, a free mix, or a free you know business type event is is possibly higher. But we're still kind of getting into that. We just released our second social commerce report, so our third will have a lot more opinionated uh, information on on why people share um, and yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's extremely interesting, especially when you have the data. I, I think that, um, I mean, we did a survey um, asking our users how, when they discover a, a concert through our site or wherever, um, how, do they, how do they get the word out to the friends they're going to go with? And the results um, were kind of counterintuitive to me. Like, I assumed it was basically going to be a ranking of social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that um, text and phone was, was, was very, very close to Facebook, and then everything else is like a ton lower than that. Um, in fact, e it was e email was very close to Facebook as well, and you, I think when we kind of give being you know being in a conference about you know technology and music in Silicon Valley, like Facebook does seem like it's the you know everything must be shared on Facebook. But actually, you know most people go to one concert a year. When they find that concert they want to go to, you know they want to go with two or three really really close friends, and they get incredibly excited about it. And it's a nice opportunity to call up your friend and say, hey, you know, do you want to go and see System of Down? Do you remember where that show we went to four years ago? So amazing, and um, because it's such an intimate, personal kind of action sharing that show, I think there's, you know, there's a real argument that you know, um, kind of old school, untrackable offline methods of sharing are still really significant. And while concert going remains like highly intimate, probably be be that way for a while. Okay, we have a question, right there. Oh, he's got it right back there. Oh, I was, <coughs> I have a question, but I'll add to that. 
I don't always share concerts with my whole group of friends because I only want to go with the two who I really want to go to that show with. And I don't want everybody going like, oh, God, hey, are you going to go to this show? And then I'm like, oh, God, I have to meet this person in the parking lot. And anyway, <laughs> so that might be what, are you, what are you doing at these concerts? <laughs> <laughs> right. Some people, I just do not want to see me in concert mode. <laughs> uh, my question is, it seems to me in the live event space, there's a lot of value for a lot of different people. The artist benefits, the merchandiser benefits, the promoter, the venue, all of these people benefit. Um, do, do these people typically, is one group or one participant responsible for all of the marketing of that show? Or do they ever like, like pool their resources to buy a large campaign? How does that happen? Well, I think, I mean, I think it's, it, it's, it's all, uh, well, it depends what the artist is. There's some that are much more engaged, and you know, one of the things we realize is my my small company that we only have seven people, but we do over 100 shows a year with with these promoters. Is that we have to we know our audience and we build programs. So when we call up Aaron, I mean, we're giving him whole packages. Like, and then there's other artists that go on sale immediately and start calling and blaming the promoter. They don't give, don't give them any tools. So if you're going to be in the space and you're going to work here and you believe in your product, no one's going to know your product better than yourself. And when Aaron says he's got 500 shows with four people to market, I mean, if you're going to be successful now, you have to be able to, to really guide your marketing plans and really get involved. It's, it's a complete collaborative effort between the artist and the promoter to, to sell tickets to their show. You'd be surprised how many shows that I do where the show goes on sale on a Friday and there I am Friday morning, look at the artist's website and the show's not listed. I mean, that's, you know, that's a no-brainer. You're, you're the act. Put it on your website. Um, tweet about it. Do something with it. Uh, so it requires everyone involved in that process to, to work. And it's not even just the marketing department at a company. If you're an event promoter and people are on your staff, I absolutely welcome anyone in my office or anyone to walk up to me and go, hey, I've got a great marketing idea. There's this thing happening down the street. I think you should have some people there. Or there's a, a website that I saw and it was a forum about you know, a, a group going on tour, but they didn't mention your date. You know, tell me that kind of stuff. But it, it needs to have everybody who's working on that event, you know, working on the marketing. And it's really cut down from the, it's really now the artist and the promoter. I mean, you don't really have the labels, don't have the finances to help you support you on your tours anymore. Uh, you used to have like quite a team of people wanting it to be successful because they would see return on record sales and everything. It's just not there. So if you're going to be successful in the space, you have to, you know, be passionate from the minute you decide to go on tour till the day the show plays, you know? Yeah. From a little bit more of an independent side, uh, from a, a smaller festival that only does a handful of, a, of large events a year, one of the things that we're always frequently doing or what a number of my clients are doing uh, through my company is, is pulling their events together so they'll, they'll, they'll find like-minded audiences. Earth Dance Festival, for example, is very, very much value aligned with Harmony Festival. And there are different times of the year, so they've, they have a partnership as like sister festivals. They share email lists, they share promotional resources, they support each other. Uh, as, as smaller producers are looking for other ways to grow your network, the best thing to do is to find other people that are producing similar shows in the similar marketplace and create alliances with them, share email lists, collaborate with Harmony. We have over a million and a half emails that go out because we collaborate and, and share with other uh, you know, the other different, like the Joshua Tree Music Festival and various ones that are part of the same, a little bit more niche market that we, we promote too. Yeah, and for us, it's like there's a, oh sorry, yeah, I mean, for us, there's a, one of the things is that because everybody, like, be, there's a lot of fragmentation online as well. So you do have, like, five or six different stakeholders in a single event, promoter, ticketing company, you know, two, three different bands, uh, venue and stuff like that, that are all kind of going out there. And, like, even though there is some pooling of resources, maybe financially in terms of a marketing budget, 
there isn't necessarily a unified effort in how that event is being promoted online um, or offline for that matter. Um, and so one of the things that we're looking at is kind of how's that fragmentation handled, not just throughout the internet, but especially even, even just on Facebook, where you have like three or four different Facebook events for a single concert. And the issue with it is that, you know, if, you know, events are social by nature, um, and kind of to speak, you know, kind of referencing that discovery piece of it is that like you discover events through friends as well and you're 10 times more likely to go if a friend of yours is promoting that event. But if I'm a fan of the venue and another friend of mine is a fan of the artist and they've RSVP'd for the artist's, you know, show, I'm not going to know about my friend going to that event because I'm like, you know, following the Live Nation Bay Area page as opposed to the, you know, system of a down page or whatever. And so, you know, the I think that just kind of it's, a, it's a interesting because the different industries, because you have entertainment industry, which is kind of like a fuck or fight your way to the top. You know, I'm taking my piece um, model. And um, sorry, yeah. Those fuck or fight your way to the top. Yeah, okay. So um, the, um, yeah, sorry. So um, Gabriel Benvenisti, <laughs> Sonic Living CEO. So um, where you have like these, this fragmentation amongst the industries where um, you know, the entertainment industry is a silo to a large extent. People are cl you know, climbing the ladder and stuff like that. And so it's important to be aware as you're trying to consolidate stakeholders and unify how an event is being promoted that you know, all of these industries need to get on the same page about that stuff. And I think that we're starting to see it, which is great, but it's also a technology problem as well and not just politics. Um, and so kind of dealing with the fragmentation is a big part of it to allow a coalescing of how events are promoted in unification online. All right. All right, Tim, you got a question? Yeah, you've had your hand up for a bit, so I want to oh, Thank you. Um, my name is Tim Wood. Uh, I've developed a service called livecut.com that lets audience uh, members at a concert order, pay for, and download recordings from that concert uh, using their cell phones. These are legal, professionally produced recordings. Um, would something like that service, uh, do, you, do any of you see that as a demand driver for a concert attendance, concert interest? Whoa. I mean, the publishing is going to be the most difficult mm -hmm. challenge you're going to have, getting the clearances. Yep. Publishing and clearances, is, I mean, that's the problem we're having. We were, we were talking about this. There's amazing amounts of content out there, but so much of it's being blocked by the publishers that we can't utilize most of it. <laughs> We're into realms that I don't normally deal with, with the publishing and things like that. I mean, I can speak to the fact that I can I can speak to the fact that yes, it, it, it's it's nice to have the content. We when we were talking before we came in here, um, we were doing a, an analogy of the the movies, and you would not go see a movie if you didn't see a trailer that you liked. Um, concerts are or, or live entertainment in general is very visual. Um, in addition to Sonic. So why is it that when a tour starts, there's not an official released video of what that stage looks like? I want to know what Lady Gaga's stage looks like. Something's going to be set on fire. It's going to be cool. <laughs> so if I don't have that video, I'm not going to know that's happening. Um, and, and right now, when an event is over, you see 150 posts on YouTube of somebody holding up their iPhone with a video of what they saw and somebody's head pops in the way and it's shaking and all that kind of stuff. I think there is a space to have professionally done video of a tour launch, but I don't know the publishing ramifications of that. We also talked about that 
content and who owns that content and being really precious about that content in a sort of analogous way to uh, you know an API. So for Eventbrite, we put all of our documentation out there to allow people to you know developers to bang on the API and create really great things out of what we've we've built so far. And I actually think there's a strong analogy to the content that a band puts out. I mean, you put out a great quality piece of content, let everybody use that to market your show in any way that they want to. I mean, there's some amazingly creative people up here who could make an incredible video out of you know some some great content. And um, Aaron was you know speaking about you know why don't we allow them to get that out there to to market the show and all these different types of channels. Yeah, I mean, I was telling these guys before that we did um one of the one of the things you can do on our site is um, after the show is finished, you can go and upload the set list or some photos you took or the video from the show or whatever. And um, it's it's a really popular feature and. I, I, my assumption was that that's when, if I've been to a show if, um, and I upload a video to it, the people who go and watch that video are the people who are there. The people who are like, oh, you know, I want to go and see what it was like from another p perspective in the room, or I want to go and see what the photos other people took like, or I want to refresh my memory as to what the seventh song they played was. But actually the people visiting that content were people who weren't at the show and they weren't even necessarily in the same city or the same region. Um, and I think that's that's super exciting, right? Because that does mean like Lady Gaga's tour starts in Tokyo. She does an amazing show, and all these fans uh, elsewhere are checking it out and getting excited for when she comes through their city. And the the fact that a tour lasts like six months or whatever means that that's actually a very effective ongoing marketing kind of machine. And I think you're going to be better off. And as more and more artists are taking their careers back in their own hands, they're retaining their publishing rights. So when an artist tells me all the time, "I'd love to have that with you, Kevin. That'd be awesome." The, the label says I want to do this, but you got to call our publisher. And that guy just looks at a rate list and it usually blocks a lot of things we try to do. Uh, next question, right there, you got one there? We'll come up here, okay. Uh, brief introdu introduction, um, I work for uh, Blue Bear School of Music, which is a local nonprofit music school, as well as, um, uh, yeah, the original School of Rocks in 71. Um, also, uh, yeah, uh, I'm a musician as well. My question is, um, obviously Facebook, Twitter, the big ways of getting gigs, getting people to know about them. Uh, my question is about relevancy of MySpace, and I hate to. S sorry if somebody from MySpace is here, but um, um, I, I know that was a, it was a big thing for a while, and now it's sort of slimmed down to being just music. Is that something that that you feel like is is worthwhile? I mean, I'm, we're on SoundCloud, we're debating as to go into you know other realms, but it seems like MySpace might be one of those moments that people are overlooking. I'm not sure if that's how people in the business feel. Who wants to make the quote, MySpace is dead? Like someone's going to make that quote on this panel. I don't want it to be me. Like you guys fancy it? I mean, Dave made a great quote. I mean, I wish yeah. someone would just... I would, okay, yeah, I'll say some shit. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, bands still use MySpace. I mean, it's definitely, we've seen our numbers dropping and dropping. But you know what? They've, they need to sell that off. That is a good piece. That was the, that's a one relevant piece that they had. And they need to get rid of it now and let, let someone take it and, and run with it and rebuild it. Bands, it was easy for bands to use and, and a good tool. And yeah, I, I still get listed, a lot of bands submit and say, check out my MySpace. I mean, by by yeah. far and away, the biggest thing that's accelerating um, the, the decline of MySpace is, is, are the, the fan page kind of apps on, on Facebook. Things like Root Music are just basically making it so much easier to have a, um, a MySpace style page there anyway. I think what's interesting about MySpace with respect to tour data is that Historically, like all of us in this room who love going to, to live music have browsed MySpace artist pages to figure out when our favorite band was coming to town. That just was a default action. And I think that for a lot of people, that's still the mental loop they go through when they're like, okay, I like this band. When are they coming to town? Go to the MySpace page, 
navigate through the horoscope section and find the find the find the, find the tour dates, um, and uh, and and I don't think that's changed mentally for like normal people. But I think that, like people in this room, it has kind of like if you're like nerdy tech, it, it's, you know, you're going to be going to the Facebook and checking out their um, their like uh, down the radio app or their um, room music tab. Um, but I think that there's still a large large number of people who do just default action go to MySpace. And MySpace have still got an opportunity to turn that around, I think. But. Yeah, and I think it's it's going to be really band specific as well. Um, I think Juggalos are still better represented on MySpace <laughs> than they are in other places. Um, so if you're going after the Juggalo market, <laughs> go to MySpace. Um, but so I think it's just you know for those of you who don't know what Juggalo does, show of hands, how many people here know what a Juggalo is? Okay, cool. Everybody else, go Google it. It's really cool. Um, but um, I think it's you know. It's just important to understand what your market actually is and who you're trying to reach. I mean, like, country is still huge on terrestrial radio, you know, and so it's important to understand that if you're marketing some country stuff and it's in Nashville or whatever, that you get out to the right places to meet the right people, you know? And I mean, I think that's kind of what Aaron speaks to to an extent in that he has to market 500 events a year to different audiences. Um, and so, you know, use the right tool for the job. But I, I would say that MySpace is much more a band-friendly site than it is a fan-friendly site. Uh, you know, I had a MySpace page for our office, and I probably had more bands as fans than I had actual people who go to concerts, because the bands wanted to get the word out. So from, from your perspective, I would say that, you know, building a page for you on MySpace, I don't know how much traffic you're going to get. I use it strictly to have bands put their tour dates on the page, but I don't have a page for myself on MySpace that, that gets a whole lot of traffic. Okay, next question. Oh wait! Oh, I was going to ask if Benjamin didn't get to ask. I'm sorry. We'll come back. No, oh, okay. Which one of you guys? Jump in there. Hi, uh, I'm Ben. I work at uh, Strumschool.com and eBay and business development. Uh, and before we were talking about specific targeting of concerts towards individual users, and my question is more as a music fan than it is professionally. I see that there's a ton of data services that are gaining share: Pandora, RDO, Slacker. I'm constantly going and giving intra giving those sites an indication of what bands and what types of music I'm in. What's the hurdle that's stopping the event marketers from getting that data where I say, hey, look, I like this song on Pandora by this specific band, or I added this artist to my collection. What's stopping you guys from finding that information, getting it, and then being able to reach out to me when I give consent? So. Yeah. So we're, do I think both us and Songkick are actually doing that. Um, so like you can go to Sonic Living or Songkick.com, scan, you know, drop in your Pandora name, your, you know, last FM name. We also support a few others like Slacker and stuff like that. Um, one of the really interesting things, and again, like I think you have the early adopters and the rate of adoption is changing uh, for people on a whole. We're not like we're kind of weird now, but we're going to be normal in the future <laughs> or something. Um, but um, it, it's that, that quantifiable information, that quantified self aspect of it, which is that you are leaving little clues and crumbs about yourself throughout the internet, and on those music services, you are you know, aligning yourself with taste and bands, you're making stations, giving thumbs up. And so both of our services, you, know, you drop in your username, and we'll email you as soon as a show comes up for any of those artists. And you know, on pandora.com slash concerts, there's your show listing right there. Um, kind of on a side note, you know, there's a lot of other things that, you know, that the, that data that you're generating on those music services can be utilized, um, used for. And it, so we built like a tool called Tweet Louder. You can go to tweetlouder.com, drop in any of those usernames, and we'll give you a list of all the Twitter accounts 
for the artists that you've been giving thumbs up to or that you've played or you've listened to or whatever, one click, follow them right there, and then you're going to you know, you're gonna have a stronger band connection. You're going to find out when they're promoting the shows to you directly, which might be more meaningful than getting an email from a service like that. And even, um, I know that Live Nation has kind of uh, off and on over the years done a lot of stuff for personalization. And right now, I think I'm, they have mylivenation.com or something like that, where you can go, and I, I don't think there's iTunes scanning, but you can go and put in those taste-based preferences. Um, and so I think that, you know, Music Hack Day was this weekend, and, like, what you're describing is, like, what that was all about. Uh, and also making really cool instruments out of APIs and shit. So, yeah. Christine, you got a question, and then we'll come over here after. Yeah, something that Aaron brought up earlier is something I've noticed a lot. I'll have some friends who will say, hey, we're playing tonight. And I know they're an Oakland band, but it's, you can't assume that people are psychic. You know, what <laughs> venue are you playing? You know, are you playing in San Francisco or are you playing in Oakland? And, you know, I usually know what time showtime is. You know, usually it's 9, 10 o'clock, unless specifically it's an early show. But uh, social media has really changed things. I used to be a concert photographer. Sometimes I still do that. You know, I used to read the weeklies, and I would see advertisements, and that's how I would figure out what shows I was going to shoot that week. These days, I find out about all the shows I'm going to through Facebook and Twitter, and it kind of boggles my mind how many people are still following me, uh, you know, on Facebook in Seattle, because, well, I mean, they're music writers, and, you know, they want to know what's going on in the San Francisco music scene. So, you know, Facebook is a world shrinker. But one bad thing about Facebook is it can be a little bit too personal. You know, that's different for a band page, but... You know, if you have it as a personal page, sometimes just it can get a little bit weird. What was the question? <laughs> that was no, more just, of a uh, comment, right? Yeah, let's just let's uh, jump over to a question. I'm sorry. Let's just no, jump just over to a question. Are you cool? Let's yeah, jump yeah. over to a question right here. Okay. Hey, I'm Brendan Moore. I um, run a music marketing firm called Receptive Music. Kevin, you mentioned briefly about um, technology that is kind of like bringing the artist career back into the artist hand. I'm curious as you guys as promoters and platforms, what you feel about Topspin's ticketing system and more importantly, what data we're able to get from that that you would be able to use towards marketing towards these events? Um, you can start. Wow. That's amazing. I've, I speak on panels all the time and everyone's over, everything's going over my head. I just know that we use a lot of this. I mean, we're not, we, we pull out, we do a lot of our, still do a lot of basic research on our markets. I mean, we do very simple things, the survey monkeys when we want to know bands. I still go out and look at the t-shirts that the kids are wearing so I know what to book the next year. Um, Paul actually, I, have, I had to bring someone in just to kind of formulate this and they put it in front of us and we just build our marketing plans off of it. I mean, we don't get a lot of information from our ticketing companies, to be honest. Uh, they don't really share a lot of it. It's not really uh, information that people sh tend to like to share with us. So we have to try to develop everything still ourselves to, you know. But that being said, you know, we do have a whole team of people who analyze the data we get from our ticket purchasers who can put together a custom deck if you were to ask for it or want it. It's a matter of a lot of people just don't ask for it. Um, I have to ask for it. It's not a given on every show that I do that I get this package of here's who your ticket buyers look like. I have to rely on 12 years of knowing that audience is probably like that. And I go to just about every show so that I can see the crowd when they're there. So, you know, it's not really an answer to your question, but there is some of that data available to us when we need it. I um, think... Oh, sorry. <laughs> you want to go first? Uh, 
you know, Eventbrite's democratizing ticketing in, in this way. So we have, from the very beginning, allowed anybody to see everything and anything that they want to know about their ticket buyers by logging into their into their account. So what we find is that, especially in the music vertical, you you know, can get a lot of great goodness from uh, knowing a lot about the people that buy tickets. So, you know, from a click of a button, you can find out who has bought the most tickets to your shows, and you can contact them. We were talking about evangelists and street teams before this panel, and it's like you can empower that person to be a total rock star and go out and promote your band and your shows because you know that they have, they're your golden, tic golden ticket buyer, right? They've attended the most shows. Um, you can also target uh, your shows and where you actually hold your shows by knowing who has attended your events and where have they where uh, your shows and where have they come from so we show an attendee geography map that just shows where did they buy from that map's actually public it's in our office you could see uh, every ticket uh, where it's being bought from at, at any given time and so I think it's I think that data should be public to every every promoter every artist anybody who wants it it's it's not proprietary it's it's for us it's it it belongs to the promoter and to the artist I mean I, I think that's really relevant and now that I know I can actually and I sell a lot of tickets through Ticketmaster I sell hundreds and thousands of tickets maybe I'll get some of that now but you know <laughs> <laughs> as we try to build our marketing plans and dollars are getting tighter and tighter in the music business uh, that kind of knowledge is going to really make good partners in the future the ones that can actually look at it because when you when you the, the dollars that are spent to market tours is is not a lot in, in real, to, to get a lot of people, to try to get a, a direct people to spend money on your shows. So I think the companies and, 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 and hopefully as the integration goes on with you guys, that will be more forthright. So, so you can take that street level, because I still come from that street level and I've had to embrace technology and understand it. So you can, you can make those dollars go farther. Because you don't have the labels throwing in twenty, thirty thousand dollars on a tour to help market it anymore. Uh, you're lucky if they buy one co-op ad and in, in for six bands and AP. You and know? actually plug your date on it too. Yeah, I mean, right. you used to be able to depend on the label. To, every time you came through town, they'd buy an extra ad to market the record around that tour date. They don't do that anymore. Nope, not right. There's nothing there. I think uh, bringing things back to also the more lo local independent side of things as well. Another company that that we use a lot is uh, In Ticketing, local based out of uh, Marin County. And uh, a lot of the data, all your ticket buyers, all their email addresses, all their information uh, becomes something that you can util utilize later. So next time when you're producing a show, you have the database of everybody who's come. <coughs> you can re-promote <coughs> re to your audience through that. A lot of uh, event-specific pages, it puts it kind of in the hands of the small producers to either do physical in-hand tickets or online check-ins. They're, they're a fantastic company that, that is on the up and up as well in ticketing. I think uh, yeah, I think that the really um the the big interesting shift that's occurring is um historically uh, the acts basically just was not really that engaged in marketing their shows. Um, they just sort of sit back and um, let the promoter do most of the lifting there. And um yeah. you know it there was you could you could make the argument as the ticket vendor you know like this is our business what we do you're not even really that interested in it we're going to keep all those emails to ourselves and you know that that model worked and. The model we have nowadays is the artist, you know, is making the most, you know, the majority of their income from playing shows. They're highly engaged with how to promote their shows. They want to do a better job of kind of helping the promoter sell that show out. Um, and as a result, they're getting more back from it. You know, that, you know, if they if they're using Eventbrite, they're getting every single email address of someone that bought a ticket to their show, which is kind of crazy considering, you know, five years ago they didn't have any of those email addresses at all. Um, but I think that one thing we believe quite strongly as a company is that if, you know. Artists are being asked to do more and more stuff every day, and 
you know, if they're going to be in the business now of promoting shows as well as um, making music, as well as actually playing shows, as well as interacting with their fans on Facebook around non-tour and, you know, non-tour related stuff, um, we as technology companies have got to help them out. And um, it's not always easy to help artists out, especially in terms of working with their websites, because sometimes their websites aren't very sophisticated and they're not very good necessarily at using APIs. Um, and I think that's where the labels can actually add a lot of value because we just did this partnership with Warner Music Group and the way it works is that Warner Music Group are going to integrate our concert data into all of their artists' websites. And that means that all of those artists won't have to think about managing their tour data on their site. They're not going to have to go and beat their intern around the head because the intern didn't add the show in time. And that's the sort of thing. And I think there'll be, I think Gabe's doing some really cool stuff there. I think that you'll see loads, loads of companies basically work to make the artist sort of seamlessly and without a lot of time on their, on their part, promote the show, help them promote it, get more tickets sold, get more people out to the gig. Okay. Yeah, and along those lines, oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh. This will actually be our last question. Yeah, Ian made a very good point. I used to work in uh, music management and then as a musician trying to do all this. I have a technology background, so I can do a lot of stuff like integrate top spin type stuff, but I mean, a regular musician can't. One thing that I see lacking, and I've, I've tried to bring it to a lot of companies that I worked with, was good and easy data visualization, yeah. mm. which doesn't seem to exist. You talk about um, location and mapping, and the map information that you would get on some of those platforms was just horrible. Like, how do I... How do I not just find what fans in this city did this, but how do I use that as a way to find out what city to go to next? Right. That's and, and I just, it seems that a lot of the developers do not necessarily think about it from the uh, musician's point of view. They're very fan focused or they're very tech focused and, and you guys need to hire a couple of those working people, or at least as consultants to, to tell you, you know, what you're doing, what will save them time. Is Alex from Next Big Sound in this room somewhere? He's here. So they're a really great company that basically work to help visualize all the data that, that, that's being generated about bands and present it back to bands so they can make smart decisions. And um, I know that they gather data from all sorts of uh, consumer web services, whether Facebook or YouTube or whatever. They also gather tour data from us and they do a bunch of those visualizations just using kind of open and available APIs. So it, I think it, it's starting to happen, but you're right, there's, we need more of that. Yeah. And, Totally. Yeah. And you should have high standards for that. So, yeah. you know, it's it's not rocket science. I think it's it is boils down to getting to the end user and understanding what they want to see. And what we've done is we've taken all the metrics that we have and we've tried to boil it down to like the top ten metrics that any organizer would want to see and put it in the most visually basic uh, packaging as possible, but I think you have a really great point that it should also be, um, there should also be some color to that. It should also be offering you something that's not just regurgitated numbers, and you should have high standards for that because the technology is there and the UI experts are there too. Sounds like you should start that company. Yeah. We, uh, we actually just started working with a company called CitizenNet, um, and they have the ability to show you, and it was really cool for me, um, a basically a heat map of the United States that tracks Twitter and Facebook mentions. So if you're an act and you want to track who's talking about you and which which cities you should route through, it will show you red hot areas where people are talking about you the most. So you could actually plan your tour around those cities. Some kind of cool stuff. That's cool idea. Citizen Net. Citizen Net. And that's exactly what Next Big Sound does as well. 
All right. Are we? I guess we actually have time for one more. One more question. <laughs> Ethics and concert promoting. <laughs> wow. 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 Now you got me talking. No. <laughs> um, wow. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I think you know, ethics and concert promoting. Um, I, I, I'm a little, I'm a little. <laughs> you know what? Where we're at was, you know, ultimately, it's, you know, we could talk about technology, and that's one thing I'm really learning here at, at this panel as much. I've learned so much from these people, you know. But ultimately, it, it, it comes down to a good song, and good packaging, and getting people to want to spend money to come to your shows. You know, we're, we've, we've got challenges so much in the concert touring business, and that's what normally I speak about, not technology. But you know what? We can do whatever we can, and this is amazing, and we're reaching people in different ways, but we have to get people to want to go back to shows. You know, you can't charge people twelve fifty for a beer. You know, they've got to have transparency in ticketing. When they go in to buy a ticket, they want to know what they're paying. You can't keep adding all this stuff to them. You know, we've got to win the trust of the fan back because we lost a generation of music fans that don't go to concerts. They really don't. People stopped going to shows. And, and you know, we can use all the technology and everything we do, but unless we as promoters and producers and all everyone involved in music gives a reason to want to come back to shows, then, you know, none of this is really going to work. So, you know, I hope there's some ethics and I'm, I'm, I think there's some companies in here that, I, uh, that I've been meeting with and talking to that are trying to bring that back to this business and those are the people I'm trying to realign myself so I can work another 30 years in the business. I've been in 30 years now and, and done okay with it. I think I'm pretty ethical and people know that in the business, but let's, let's hope there's ethics in the business coming back. I, I, I think at the end of the day, it's about just letting everybody know that the show's coming to town and giving them a good, a good deal on the show that they're going to. It, it, the average person actually goes to two concerts a year, and the biggest hurdle for people going to live events is the fact that they just didn't hear about it. So if you look at traditional marketing models for going to shows, um, you know, now you can DVR through my TV commercials. So how do I know you're actually watching that TV commercial? How do I know you're, you're reading SF Gate? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not looking at the weekly newspaper. And I think the exciting thing for everybody in this room is that there is now a tangible way that everyone can, can add to that concert experience and help us reach those fans because it's way more fragmented than it's ever been before on how you can reach somebody. I mean, I have my own wife goes, oh, Britney Spears is coming to town? I wouldn't have known that if I wasn't married to you. And I'm like, well, what, what do you do? She's like, well, I drive and I listen to a CD in the car. I get to work. I do my emails. I come home and I watch TV and I fast forward through all the commercials. And then I read a book and go to bed. Well, how am I going to reach her? You know, you got you to really fine tune how you're getting people these days. And, and, and the technology is the only way we're going to do that. I think um, I, this is a slightly backhanded way of answering that question about ethics. Um, but I think that uh, a broad theme is that live music will get less corporate. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, back in the day when, when Bill Graham was um, putting stuff off in, on in San Francisco and you had like all these local, highly entrepreneurial promoters working independently in, in specific markets, and then that all got rolled up. Um, and for the era where radio was the primary way you promoted stuff, that made sense. I mean, Clear Channel did the roll up, right? Um, and it made sense that live music was this sort of aggregate corporate entity. Um, and I'm, I don't really have a, a, that much insight into whether Bill Graham was more ethical than, you know, SFX or not. But um, what I what I what I do know is that you know what Eventbrite are doing, for example, and letting any small promoter ticket online super easily get access to their e email list, is the, is the trend that I think is is going to be um, the one one that we see kind of continuing over the next five years. And I think you'll have a return to that sense of like small business um, 
uh, highly entrepreneurial promoters in local markets representing a very specific brand, like what the Bowery Presents do in, in New York or in the 930 Club in DC. You know, that's the sort of thing we're going to see more and more of. I think uh, also putting the buying power and the voice back into the hand of the uh, hands of the audience, which prior to technology, the audience was kind of quiet. They didn't have a way to speak out and push the promoters and 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 change the trending. For example, pricing. If uh, if an if a if a ticketing company has service fees that are adding an extra fifteen dollars onto your tickets and the Facebooks and Twitters start going crazy because they're the people are just had it with service fees they're going to be able to affect the industry or affect pricing or if, or if, or if, or if ticket prices are bloated you're going to get the reaction from the audience through the various uh, social networks and and eventually being being a more democratic system will be affecting the producers and the promoters exactly I mean I think technology actually brings authenticity and transparency to this entire business and um, I would echo both uh, you know Ian and Zach here that uh, it really does democratize this entire purchasing experience and so I think that you know promoters and artists are in are d more deeply linked with their fans as well as being held to a higher standard and no longer can you hide behind you know many different people grabbing at that ticket fee you need to be able to answer to that and um, I think that's incredibly powerful for the fan yeah the fans the fans speak we got to wrap up but you know for my fan 17 years old the biggest complaint last year was water prices and we saw mm -hmm. that through technology that they, they don't want to pay 450 for water so that was what I went in and fought the industry for so so all my shows this year will have three dollar water I mean, that was like a big give and take. That was the one thing I can give my fans. They spoke. And we were able to give them what they wanted. You know, uh, I can't lower certain fees, but I got them $3 water. So thank you guys. I uh, really want to wrap. I appreciate everyone coming out. You know? $3 water.